Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Up until the um, 1892 Book of Common Prayer, this prayer was prayed prior to each baptism. Almighty and everlasting God, who of your great mercy did save Noah and his family in the ark from perishing by water, and also led the children of Israel, your people, through the Red Sea, figuring there by holy baptism and by baptism of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in the River Jordan. You sanctified the water to the mystical washing away of sin. We ask you for your infinite mercy, that you will mercifully look upon this child, wash him and sanctify him with the Holy Ghost, and that he, being delivered from your wrath, may be received into the ark of Christ's church may be delivered and received into the ark of your church. There's a reason this space is called a nave. You know, we oftentimes refer it to as the sanctuary, but the the proper name for it is the nave, and it comes from the same root word as navy. Um, Many um, uh, worship spaces are built to look like an upside-down boat. Because the church is supposed to be a safe place in the storms of life. Our baptismal font is eight-sided, remembering the eight people who were saved in the ark. As Peter says, is a prefiguring of baptism. In the 19th century, there was a dramatic discovery. The Gilgamesh epic. And on one of these tablets was a story that sounded very much like the Noah story that we're used to. These are ancient stories of Mesopotamia, the area around in which Israel grew and developed and learned of God's ways. Take, for example, this story of the flood. The god E warned Utanapishti of an imminent flood and instructed him to build a boat to preserve life. The chief god, Enel, then brought a flood upon the world, which lasted six days and seven nights, following which the ark landed on Mount Nifshu, which is in modern-day Kurdistan. After another seven days, Yustam Pishti released a dove, which returned, and then a swallow, which returned, and finally a raven, which did not return. The flood clearly over now. Yutanapishti offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and the gods gathered round like, the, like flies to savor the smell of the sacrifice. Finally, Utampishti was made immortal. Now, a lot of people read these stories that they discovered, and they said, oh, well, this biblical flood story, see, it's just, you know, part of a wider narrative. Um, it's just something that's rooted in the ancient tradition. You know, we don't even know if it really happened. Um, it's just sort of some kind of a myth that we can kind of put aside. And 
for the 18th, for the, you know, really like the 18th and 19th century, this was the bulk of biblical studies was demythologizing and demystifying the scriptures to make them palatable to a modern ear which refused to believe in mysteries or a God who acted in the world. As long as we can keep it safe away, then God cannot change us. And I think if we're honest, it's one of those things that we fear. What if God transformed our lives? The power and the comparison of these stories is not that they are similar, but how Israel told the story. There may have been common narratives and common stories, but the the way in which Israel changed the story is really important. And the story that's told to us in Genesis, God looks upon humanity and says, I will never, ever destroy creation again. That's not in the epic of Gilgamesh. That's in the scriptures. A promise from God that I will not destroy humanity. Walter Brueggemann, who's one of the greatest um, Old Testament um, thinkers and writers, says that though evil and disaster may strike us, we can be assured that they are not punishments from God. Brueggemann, reflecting on this, says, yes, things may happen to us. Illnesses may happen. Disease may happen. Suffering may happen. We may even be faced with calamities of weather. But Brueggemann says what this story tells us is that we can be assured that these are not from God. That is a huge thing. Anyone who has ever been through a diagnosis that they did not know how to reconcile, anyone who has had their lives taken away by fire or tornado or flood, um, what insurance companies also often call acts of God, we can be assured, Brueggemann says, that these are in fact not acts from God. There's a hymn, How Firm a Foundation, that goes, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be near thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee the deepest distress. In other words, the invitation to us is that in the midst of suffering, that we are to draw closer to God and ask for God's strength and help. For this is a God that is revealed in this story as one who remembers creation and does not forget. For sure, we can often ask the question, uh, God, did you remember? I asked you of this thing, and uh, it's not here yet. If you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, which we'll hear these next two weeks, Abraham and Sarah get word that God has forgotten their promise, and so they take things in their own hand by their own power, and it becomes a disaster. This is a God who does not forget. Tillich says, if there is anything that keep us from be- is there anything that can keep us from being forgotten by God? 
that we were known from eternity and we remembered in eternity is the only certainty that can save us from being forgotten forever. We cannot be forgotten, he says. This, of course, is the story of grace. That God does not forget us. That God does not leave us comfortless. There's a story in Ernest Hemingway's short story, The Capital of the World. A a father goes to Madrid searching for his estranged son, Paco. And no matter where he looks for his son, Paco cannot be found. In an act of desperation, the father places a short ad in the city paper and it says, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, 12 noon, Tuesday, all is well, all is forgotten, Papa. When the father arrives at the hotel at the time, he couldn't believe his eyes. A crowd of 800 young men, all named Paco, await for his arrival. They're all anxious for restoration and reconciliation with their father. This image captures the hope of many of us who are afraid that we have been forgotten, that we are lost to God. And the gospel tells us we are not lost, that we cannot be lost. That this is the God who says, come to me and you can rest. We cannot be forgotten. And that is no small thing. That is no small thing. Today's reading from 1 Peter. 1 Peter contains a bit of important um, exploration of this in ways we don't always consider. In the story of Genesis, the God who put down the bow and arrow, the God who, um, who, who, who took um, a, a device of violence and turned it into a device of peace. To be a symbol of an eternal covenant, a promise to humankind that you will not be forgotten. St. Peter writes, Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, and this is the important part, in which also Jesus went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey. Even those in former times who do not obey, First Peter tells us they are not forgotten from God. In fact, Jesus, like the father who goes searching for Paco, goes to the depths of hell and says, where are you? Come out. In Eastern Orthodox iconography, Jesus' resurrection begins with the breaking down of the gates of hell. That which has been torn and broken cannot be rebuilt we are told in the resurrection. One of the prayers that is sometimes prayed on Holy Saturday, this day within our liturgical season and, and year in which we remember Christ's descent to the dead, Christ's descent to the very depths of hell to rescue everyone, letting them know God did not forget you. Hell, who had filled all men with fear, Trembled at the sight of thee, and in haste he yielded up his prisoners, O immortal son of glory. Thou hast destroyed the palaces of hell by thy burial, O Christ. Thou hast trampled death down by thy death, O Lord, and redeemed earth's children from corruption. We believe in a God who does not forget us, a God who does not punish us, 
a God who does not hate us, a God who is willing to go toe-to-toe with the devil to rescue us from sin and bring us to everlasting life. I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.